0: Hello, I am Richard Buse, joining you for book by book the next in our series of studies on 1 Peter from the New Testament. And as we come to this series of studies, I've got some friends to help me here as we sit in All Souls Church in Langham Place, London, England. My colleague here, Paul Blackham, Dr. Paul Blackham, who works here with me in London. And then our special guest today, Don Carson, Professor of New Testament in Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois. In America, who's visiting us from Chicago. And what we shall do is to take now the next in our series, and it is going to be 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 to 19. I hope you've got a Bible with you. I can't read all the passage perhaps just now, but why don't I start at chapter 4 and verse 17. Here is Peter writing, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. That's been one of the recurring themes here, of course, all the way through, how we hang on, we don't pull out, even when the going is very, very hard. Now, let me come to my friends here. May I start with you, Don? Uh, how does Peter want us, looking I'm particularly looking at verse 10 here, how does he want us to administer uh, the gifts we've been given to use?
1: Well, the text reads, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God, If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Two or three things. First, it really is important to see that in the New Testament, the notion of gift is pretty comprehensive. Mm -hmm. Um, A charisma is a gracious gift from God and it can include an astonishing breadth of things. For example, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that marriage is a gracious gift from God, and so is celibacy. I assume you can't have both of those gifts at the same time. Um, And then, of course, there are gifts of administration, and there are things that uh, we more traditionally call charismatic gifts. Whatever gift God has given, however, there are two controls to how we should use it. Number one, we should use it to serve others faithfully, the text says. And number two, it is for the praise of God through Jesus Christ. And then that works out in a variety of ways. For example, if one's speaking the Bible, teaching the word of God, one should do it as teaching the very words of God, not being flip or irrelevant Mm -hmm. or imposing meaning on the text or manipulating people. Likewise, if one serves, then one should do so faithfully, ministering God's grace in its various forms and so forth. There is a, a sobriety, a seriousness, a god honoringness an other orientedness to all of this sort of service so that uh, it's never an issue of seizing on gifts as if they're ways of puffing ourselves up or promoting self, it, just the opposite. It's for the sake of serving others, for the sake of bringing glory to God in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Let's move on from that, Pastor. Thank you very much, Don. I mean, when I look
0: at verse 12 here, again, we're coming back to this painful trial that people go through in in all of their service, the painful trial that they are suffering. So I can imagine somebody sharing in this study saying, so Paul Blackham, what is the victorious Christian life then with all of this trial and pain that so often characterises
2: Christian living? Well, that's the strange thing with Peter, isn't it? He... He saw, he begins with the assumption that to suffer this painful trial is the default setting. That's normal. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange happened to, to you. No, he says, rather rejoice, because this is exactly what it's all about, being united to Christ. you, The gift of of, enjoy, of participating in his suffering, so that then you can be overjoyed, and so on. So, It's interesting because sometimes I receive literature which says to me, do you want to experience the victorious Christian life? Mm. And I think, oh, of course, excellent, open it up. What does it say? It says, oh, you know, there's enormous financial uh, anointings waiting for you if you just whatever, and then there's usually Mm. some Mm. things I need to do. or. Uh, you know, is your job the right sort of job? Why don't you be running the company rather than working for the company? Or is your house big enough? Is your car fast enough? It, because, as if the assumption is always then, the normal Christian life is, are going well. is everything going well yeah. and, and the world loves me, the bank manager loves me, everybody loves me. Whereas Peter's saying, no, if you, if you have that in your mind, when the suffering comes, as it must do if you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, he promised it would and he doesn't lie then if you've got that that view of victory in mind you're gonna be shocked absolutely shocked when the real suffering comes of participating in the sufferings of Christ. and and as Don said in an earlier session then you've got the added suffering of getting your theology straight yes, of course. because you can't cope yes, with of it course.
0: Yeah, it's very, very important. And presumably the the great magnet in all of this, I mean, people might well say, well, why are we suffering like this? Where's the magnet in Christian living? The magnet is Jesus. Mm. That is the magnet. The name of Christ. And in fact, that brings me to Don, really, if I may. If we're insulted for the name of Christ, Don, why is that a, a sign of the
1: Spirit's presence with us? It's quite astonishing how bold Peter is, isn't it? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. It's really quite <laughs> wonderful. And yet I'm convinced that in Peter's mind, that goes all the way back to the teaching of Jesus. In the uh, Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the first section of the Beatitudes, Jesus ends up by saying, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, to be in the position where you are being insulted for Christ's sake is to belong to a whole line of insulted prophets of people who are despised or uh, put to death or attacked. You you belong to to God's people even by the way you're being insulted. This is why Jesus in John's Gospel says, uh, listen, if they insulted me and hated me, why on earth do you think that you're going to get away scot-free? A servant is not better than his, his master. And then Paul comes along and at the end of this wonderful passage in Romans 8, likewise, and speaks of what it means to be more than conquerors. But more than conquerors there does not mean um, living above all the uh, trials and difficulties of, of ordinary people. In that context it's a, we're going to be persecuted all day long, we're, we face uh, trouble, hardship, persecution, death, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No, but in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us precisely because he doesn't give up on us. He holds on to us and, and he loves us. And what can separate us from the love of God? And so, likewise, here it's almost as if suffering for Jesus' sake is a badge of identity. This is a part of the demarcation of who we are. We belong to Christ. So, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief. What's, what's, what's the badge in that? But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. It's a mark of identity with Christ, all he stands for, all that he's done, all that he gives, both for now and for eternity.
0: Yeah, what, what an honor, what a reward to bear the name. It's easy for us to say that here, of course, in, a, you know, in the middle of London, in a, in a church setting, but out in the arena, it's not so easy to say, but nevertheless, it is true. And we can therefore share this with our friends together and be ready for the day when it might be our turn. Um, Paul, may I come to you for a moment? It's not always for the sake of Christ that the Christian is disliked, actually. So what do we need to be
2: careful about? Well, that's the funny thing about verse 15, isn't it? If you suffer, shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal. You think, yeah, yeah, of course, right, right. Or a meddler. (laughs) And he puts that at the end and you think, A meddler? Well, yeah. so that seems so trivial in comparison to the other things. But it's quite an important thing, a meddler, because you think, yeah, I can, we can all think of work situations where the Christian is just like, not because they're really faithfully communicating the gospel, but they do sometimes come across as a bit of a meddler, and, hang, and end up preaching a kind of moralism rather than the gospel, so that the people in the workplace and are now going and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> or, you, you know, you're sleeping with your partner, that's, and you're not yeah. married, that's terrible, and this is terrible, and the other's terrible, and the other's terrible. And it's strange because then, if the message we're trying to communicate is, it's not by works that were saved, that's on the one hand. But the actual message we communicate all the time is something like, you should behave better. It's that's, that's a completely mixed message, and on the one hand, we're trying to say, you should behave like a Christian. On the other hand was saying, "No, it doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> you should become a Christian and be saved and so on. The justification by works. And I think that's Peter, by putting in the meddler, which seems a trivial thing, he's actually putting his finger on something that's quite uh, easy to fall into, to replace the gospel, which is a really radical message, with moralism, which is not a radical message at all, and there's tons of moralizers and meddlers. So I think he's just, I think that's an important thing for us to bear in mind there. To, if we're going to be disliked in our neighbourhood at work, college, whatever, it must be for the sake of Christ. Nobody should have anything else against us Mm. that we're interfering or anything like that. But that they just honestly say, no, we reject Christ. I don't want people to say, reject Paul Blackham. That doesn't mean anything.
0: Mm. No, ever so important for the witness, for the consistency of living, in uh, everything we're doing. So, I mean, we have to ask ourselves from time to time, as Christian workers, just as Christians, you know, do you inspire your fellows or do you exhaust them? Mm-hmm. And we should actually be inspiring and with the example and with something of the reflection of, of what it means to, to follow Christ. Don, could I ask you this question? Looking at verse 17, I mean, why on earth if Christians are already suffering, and here we are at the very heart of the letter, really, If Christians are already suffering, why should the Apostle Peter say that judgment should begin with the family of God?
1: I think that Christians must confess that judgment can be a wonderful blessing. We've all seen um, uh, families, for example, where there's no discipline whatsoever, and a wheel so often comes off the kids. Of course, judgment can be harsh and bitter in a family, but, but where there's no discipline, it really is quite frightening and Hebrews reminds us, as Proverbs does in the Old Testament, that, uh, that God uh, always disciplines the ones he takes as sons and so on. So if, if God comes to the church of, of God, if God comes to his own people and begins with discipline and judgment there, it's for our good. These are temporal judgments that drive us toward holiness, as we saw already in the first of these series. Um, the, the sufferings and trials themselves, part of this fallen, broken order, God can use simultaneously so that we're identified um, with Christ, but also so that we we are purified from our our, our love of of, of of a sinful, selfish order of things. And, and that becomes part of God's uh, loving parental discipline of his own people in anticipation of the glory to come. He wants us to be a holy people on the last day. But if God treats us with judgment that way, even if these judgments are only temporal and are sometimes severe, nevertheless, how much more frightening is the final judgment to come uh, be where there is no repentance, where there is no alignment with God. God is a holy God. He will either discipline us in love and um, uh, out of a passionate desire that we be His holy people now in preparation for the consummation of the last day, or He will discipline um, uh, human beings on the last day with, with wrath. But discipline us, He will. Judgment will come. It is not something to be feared that judgment begins with the house of God. It is a great blessing. It is already a mark that God is preparing us for the glory to come. It's
0: very encouraging to hear you outline that for us, Don. We're coming to the end of the study. In fact, we're really at the end. Uh, You know, when we think about this, the suffering world that Christians are often plunged into, i tell you, I'd rather be wrong with Peter and Paul and uh, some of those great martyrs, Stephen the martyr. I'd rather be wrong with them than be right with Nero or Caesar Augustus or you could name some of the modern people who have opposed the Christian faith and made life difficult, E.D. Amin of Uganda. I'd rather be wrong with these people than be right with those other people. And then the New Testament says, actually, because of Christ, you're right anyway, which is a wonderful thing. So as we wind up now, we must thank you very much for joining with us in our study, and we'll be back with you another time.